0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. podcast episode 327 and for this gabf gold episode of the podcast i'm joined by rob malad of metazoa in indianapolis indiana welcome to the podcast rob
1: hey jamie thanks for having me
0: after you won a gold medal at, uh, at gabf that saturday night we all ended up uh, back at bierstadt uh, and drinking some tiki drinks um and uh yeah we were hanging out for a little while we talked about doing uh doing getting you on the podcast and of course here you are of course and and I have been sleeping on Metazoa. I shouldn't say sleeping. Craft Beer and Brewing has rated Metazoa beers over the year. Hopopotamus IPA scored a 97 with our blind judges. Unicorn Splash, Brute IPA uh, thrown back away scored a 95 with our blind judges. You've got a whole heap, a whole heap of GABF and World Beer Cup medals uh, for Metazoa. Uh, And here you are, this year you won a gold medal for William Walrus, a Scottish Yale which you made in a very unusual way a double-decocted Scottish Yale. We're going to talk about the weird and wonky ways that you've uh, tackled Scottish ales. Maybe we'll also talk about some of your other uh, gold medal-winning beers in the past. Before we do that, for years, g d Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000-plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. They know brewing doesn't stop at 5 o'clock, nor do they, g uses quality components, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. With 24-7 service and support, your brewery will never stop. Remote monitor your chiller for simple and fast access to all the information you need, providing you with the peace of mind your operation is running smoothly. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is brought to you by our friends at BSG, who invite you to experience one of the newest hops from their Hop Solutions line. HS Grove. Developed for hop forward beer styles, HS Grove boasts incredible bio transformation qualities, giving you the power to transform your next IPA into a stone fruit powerhouse. Choose HS Grove for West Coast IPA, New England IPA, Double IPA, American Pale Ale or any beer style where delicious, fresh fruit aromatics are desired. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. And if you hear Old Orchard mentioned in the brewing community, don't be surprised. The flavored craft juice concentrate blends from Old Orchard have shipped to over 46 states. Their new brewing customers often mention discovering Old Orchard through the word-of-mouth recommendation of another brewer. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com. Brewer. All right, Rob, let's talk about uh, a little bit of brewing history. Uh, walk me through your arc in brewing and uh, what led you into this position. It's head brewer, head brewer for uh,
1: MetaZoa, or is it uh, director of brewing operations? Director ops? of brewing director operations. Of brewing so.
0: I was 50 50 on that one and I failed. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I got started um, a little over a decade ago at Sun King, just right up the road from us. Um, Spent a good amount of time there, sort of doing anything. I mean, I was 22 years old, fresh out of the military, and uh, got my first full time opportunity there. Everybody that was back in the days of everybody starts in the tap room. It was a production only uh, brewery at the time. So everybody starts in the tap room slinging growlers like by the hundreds. It was $5 Friday growler fills. Anybody in Indianapolis would tell you that it was complete mayhem, um, but was there during their sort of rapid growth period. So it was pretty wild even there. I started, um, at, I think they're year three and in my four years there, we more than doubled in size. Um, pretty insane, but did everything there from, uh, doing deliveries to working the canning line, filling kegs, washing kegs, you name it. Um, eventually up to assistant brewer there, um, moved, uh, kind of hit my ceiling there, moved to a brewery in Columbus, Ohio, now defunct called Kindred, um, Worked with some really awesome people there. Um, but uh, I met my wife while I was living there and moved back to Indianapolis to work at Flick's Brewhouse up on the north side of Indianapolis there. Um, that was really my first foray into uh, like a head brewer role, really working on the like, recipe development and things like that. Oh, a de- great deal of uh, credit and uh, to them for really giving me a chance. Uh, but unfortunately, that was a like a movie theater and brew pub. Very, really cool concept. It was really great. Um, again, it was good because... It was a movie theater first, so um, if I made beer that wasn't awesome, uh, it was a safe place to fall on your face, if you will, and I made plenty of beers that were not awesome uh, <laughs> while I was figuring it out, um, but being a movie theater uh, during COVID, they were, you know, of course, the first on the chopping block, so got uh, we all got furloughed there and was very fortunate to end up at Metazoa just six or eight weeks sort of after, sometime in May, um, after that, what, March 16th, I believe, D-Day right, of right. 2020. So, yep, and then uh, been here for now, what is that? You know, three and a half years.
0: Cool. So, talk to me about the the Metazoa approach to brewing. What's uh, what's the general philosophy, and uh, you know, what do you all you know what kind of framework do you put about around the the brewing program at Metazoa?
1: Well, it's really it's a balance of so we're a, a production brewery, but we also have a high volume tap room and down near east side downtown Indianapolis. um So it's a it's a balance between what we do for tap room and what we do for distro. Right. So. For distro, that's and that's you know my primary focus. That's still a uh, you know at this point probably seventy five percent of what we do, um, and we'll continue to grow as we grow. Obviously, those numbers get even more skewed. So my approach with um, and our approach with uh, the production side and distro side is always about balance and drinkability. You know, I believe in uh, brewing uh, brewing high volume drinking brands. You know, so our number one beer, which is about fifty percent of our overall production, is Hopopotamus, our house IPA. Um, it's dry, moderately restrained bitterness. And, you know, it's something that's designed to be drank in volume because you know, we need those we need that throughput. Um I we're big pale lager. mosaic Coast West Coast IPA. Absolutely. Uh Citro mosaic, uh, Centennial. We kind of on the, the third primary hop that we kind of change those around a little bit. Uh, <laughs> to to be honest with you, you know, we find ourselves in a lot of production breweries uh, position right now where we're long on contracts. We work through that sort of third and fourth hop in that um, accent hop mostly and we work through what we need to work through in contracts. So there's a lot of Centennial Simcoe Strata are the primary ones in that you know, um, unless you drink it every day and you really pay attention to it, I doubt that you would notice a difference as it's very highly uh, Citroën Mosaic forward, but um, on the taproom room side, our brewing approach is a little bit different. We uh, have a lot of young 20 somethings. Our, our tap room is 21 and up. It's a dog park and brewery, so very animal friendly. In the state of Indiana, that means you can't have food um, if you allow animals on the premise. And if you don't have food, that means you can't have people under 21. So a lot of young working professionals, which means a lot of light beer and fruit beer, and specifically seltzer. Seltzer, I um, have a cherry lime made seltzer that our number one selling product pretty much every week in our tap room.
0: Got to make the people happy. Absolutely. Cool. Um, So where where do you spend, uh, you know, where does a lot of the uh, kind of R&D and innovation focus then go uh, for Metazoa? What do you guys spend your time kind of stretching on?
1: Uh, I mean, for me, it's lager. You know, for most of the brewers, it's lager. I mean, that's what we like to do. We got a new production facility built out about a year and a half ago now. So we're set up the five vessels uh, system from specific mechanical, we've got loggering tanks, we've got space to do all of that. Um, so that really is the focus for us because that's what we enjoy making. It's what we enjoy drinking. Um, we did not have the ability basically due to time and production capacity constraints before to do loggers. So um, it's very much something that we've leaned into. Um, always IPAs. I mean, those are just, again, it's pale lager and West Coast IPA is are the big ones for us. But we miss around on the hop. Uh, front we you know both fruit beers it's it's fun to play with those are fruit beers are never my favorite to drink but they're some of my favorite to make um and our tap room uh clientele enjoys them you know like it's, it's always good when sort of the the arrows cross between what peaks our interest and what peaks our guest's interest so fruit beer is often falls on that space and we mess with interesting fruits and stuff like that so um we 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 bounce around we have 24 draft lines so we bounce around a lot uh, in all kinds of different styles Uh, we don't really do a barrel age program but short of that we do pretty much everything else
0: interesting well You know uh, that all makes sense. The lager focus being those lower ABV drink multiples, uh, especially if you are popping dog fanatics into a tap room. Um, yep. You know, one one and done is not a, not a great strategy for that kind of uh, of customer. And uh, finding ways to uh, make them happy over multiple beers is great. And if it fits your uh, your brewer approach too, then then even better. Um, well, I want to talk about this Scottish ale because it's a weird one um William Walrus is the name of it and as we said it's a uh, double decocted Scottish ale um something of an ad hoc beer that you threw together um in order to, uh, you know, for a whole bunch of other reasons, not necessarily thinking, hey, let's go make this uh, a medal-winning batch for this beer, and yet uh, there you are employing some uh, unusual or some some techniques from other styles to make this beer in the the most interesting way. Uh, you know, and our next issue is our malt-focused issue, so I'm uh, particularly interested in this subject. I also love Scottish ale, and we keep doing you know features in the magazine around it, like every few years. We'll bring back the Scottish ale package and like talk about brewing Scottish ale and and one of these times like just like with our lager issues eventually we're gonna get the timing right and it's gonna happen and Scottish ale will become big again. Um, I'm yeah, not sure. I'm not. <laughs> so- <laughs> Rob, in some places it's, it hasn't left. There are a lot of places in this country where um, you know, I go and like, oh, I like Scottish ales are top seller. It is fascinating to see that, um, but it's also the beautiful thing about craft beer. It's not one thing. Uh, it's different different things in different places for different kinds of people, and that's what makes it beautiful and unique. Anyway, I want to talk about the Scottish Shale. Before we do that, take your brewing to the next level with Acubrew's revolutionary fermentation monitoring system, now predicting specific gravity. With Acubrew, you'll have precise control over the fermentation process and ensure consistent high quality results. Their cloud-based app and compact sensor work together to monitor specific gravity, fermentation activity, clarity, and temperature. AccuBrew is CIP ready and designed to stay out of your way. Their set it and forget it solution streamlines systems and processes, confirms consistency, and helps detect problems before they ruin a batch. Join the AccuBrew community today and experience 24-7 peace of mind. Visit Accubrew.io to learn more. Also, ProBrew is excited to announce that they are currently featuring short lead times between two and four weeks for their in-stock ProFill rotary can fillers. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute, while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, fill out their contact form on www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level probrew brew your beer and we all have busy lives these days, and can't afford to waste a day stuck on the couch because of a few drinks the night before. Zebiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Zebiotics is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Give zebiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com slash beer and Brewing to get 15% off your first order when you use beer and brewing all caps beer and brewing at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money no questions asked. Um Zbiotics is something I see more and more professional brewers uh tapping into Zbiotics. Uh, I was just going to say we beer used festival some of that time. Sunday morning,
1: yeah. <laughs> Sunday morning after uh, GABF, yeah, they like got a- I don't know that that uh completely dissolves all the sins of the tiki party, but uh I could've used anything while I was standing in line at that Denver airport. Some some folks security. were telling me like yeah. they
0: come prepared, like buying Zbiotics by the case. Anyway, if you do that, you use that code, beer and brewing beer and brewing all caps. And might as well get fifteen percent off, right?
1: All right. I'm going to have to disconnect with you and get get on that right now.
0: <laughs> okay, Rob, walk me through uh, walk me through William uh, William Walrus, your uh, Scottish style ale.
1: Okay, great. I should uh, go ahead and mention that you may notice in the name, obviously, that there's Walrus. We have uh, Metazoa again, with being a dog park. Um, a big part of our focus is animals, so we donate five percent of all of our proceeds to animal charities. Um, I would imagine that we're, I, I haven't checked the figure in a long time, but I would imagine that we're up, you know, uh, to date with the company over $200,000 donated to animal charities and organizations. So I would be, I would get killed if I did not, uh, plug that about Metazoa. So, um, so that's cool, though, that the charitable
0: yeah. approach with animal charities works its way even into your product naming strategy and creates a structure around that so that there's a, absolutely a so every of one logic. of our
1: beers. Had, yep, absolutely. So so you'll see it on all of our cans. There's animal illustrations and stuff like that. So it goes into everything that we do. So um, but specifically with William Walrus, uh, that was a really fun and hilarious beer to make. Um, that was one of those we just had. We had an open fermenter. Uh, We would have brewed it in February, the production times are slow, (laughs) open fermenter needed to keep British yeast alive, and what do we brew? So naturally we sat around on a Friday planning next week's uh, production schedule. Me and a couple of our other brewers and cellar people, a couple beers, and decided that uh, we wanted to brew something brown. Um, And I had been wanting to use the name William Walrus, and so Scottish Ale made sense. Um, so we go to take a look, formu- formulating the recipe and see that we don't really have any black malt for color, we don't have a lot of caramel malt to add malt depth, then just, then we said, fuck it, and we've got a decoction vessel. So, uh, so the building of this recipe ends up, at that point, becoming pretty simple. Um, so we had some Crystal 10 and Crystal 60, um, but really really low percentages and so this is built out of two row and munich malts you know again we don't don't have any <laughs> any malt from the uk um as far as you know like british pale malts or anything like that that you typically see so really that's the way that we drive like that sort of nuttiness like we had some caramel malts but you know and certainly um for the color so it's like 10 pounds in a 20 barrel batch of chocolate malt um, but Scottish ale fits with that. That's a part of what I really love about Scottish ale is that it's got all those, uh, like nice, uh, toffee, nutty caramel notes, but really roast is not a part of it. Um, I'm not a big roast, uh, roasty beer fan. Um, like what I do, I want it to be a stout or a Schwarz beer or just a coffee beer. So, uh, when you get into like brown ale, mild, mild ale, things like that, those brown beers that have roast character, that doesn't really hit my sweet spot as much as Scottish ale. So... Seemed like a perfect fit. We had a couple beers, threw together a recipe in about 30 minutes and shipped it off to next week and brewed it and here we are. Um, uh, But that's the, I think the power of the decoction vessel and you see that in like a lot of our amber and dark lagers. And uh, I think that it just makes for a really nice balanced, uh, I mean, it's still, so it's clean and drinkable. That's a big part of the decoction is not using a lot of caramel crystal malts is It's pretty well attenuated, it makes it really drinkable, really nice, really smooth, Um, not a lot of, there's no acrid, you know, roast bitterness or anything like that, so, um, splash of Magnum, you know, handful of Magnum at 60 minutes, and off we went. It was really a true fuck it beer, and it was a lot of fun, and very cool to be rewarded for something that we put so little effort into. (laughs) <laughs> um outside of the brew day of it course. Seems like day, a you very know, flippant when you, when you, uh, way to
0: describe a double decoction <laughs> process uh yeah you know, of course i mean brew. outside
1: of the brew day you know but it's it's funny how that works where it's you know we've got we've got beers that we brew it been brewing for years you know um tweaking and dialing and turning levers and knobs and then you sit down on one friday and have a couple beers and come away with a gold medal so you know it's how the world works and that's the juxtaposition of
0: maybe I'm maybe a little sure bit more difficult word wrong, than but, that you know it seems like yeah. some of the constraints that you had as you were developing the recipe were actually you know you turned um from weaknesses into strengths obviously when you have this kind of you know limit in some of the specialty malts that you could pull from this and they tended to be definitely on the lighter side and you're now you know you're you're solving problems but you're doing it in different ways and now you know you're also thinking about how to accomplish this goal through double decoction which you could also have done you know in other ways through long boil obviously you can't really you know you're on a direct fire system and can't really
1: steam system there's long boils it's like unless you're driving off dms they really don't do a lot so probably one of the one of the one of the cons of this uh this beautiful engineering that they have out there these days. Sure.
0: Well, so, so, you know, your, your base is, uh, you know, two row and let's, let's kind of walk through some how much of the, some of the other like small specialty malts found their way into this.
1: So, I mean, we're talking about crystal 10 crystal 60 and biscuit, I believe or the, and then, I mean, and like, like again, a handful of chocolate malt. We're talking about uh 10% total of specialty grain, maybe, maybe 15. Um, and then, yeah, just the base of uh, base of two row in Munich.
0: And then, what is, <laughs> what does your decoction process then look like?
1: Sure. So that that is something that we definitely take into consideration a little bit more when we do use um, when we use uh, specialty malt. Right. Um, anytime we get away from base grain, you worry about really extracting um, harsh tannins right. from darker grains. So you don't want so it to that be is,
0: husky. It needs to be like sweet and malty and not uh, grainy.
1: Exactly. So we did, we, we mash in hundred percent of the Munich malts and probably, you know, 90% or so of the, of the two row. Um, and then we, we run that mash program. Um, and we pulled, we pulled from that to the right of the decoction. So we don't want to run specialty grains. So once we have pulled for our second decoction, then we went ahead and, uh, mashed in, uh, the caramel malt, chocolate malt, and, you know, just, you know, run through our auger to wash it out the rest of the two row. Um, so that was a, that's a big consideration. Um, I, I, I like want to say that's the dark
0: lager decoction strategy, right? Uh, you know, yeah. So I want to say
1: exactly. I want to say that's the first time that we had done that. So again, that was a little bit. So I suppose a little bit of a hurdle. You know, we've since brewed uh, Dunkel Bison and Schwarz beer where we've done the same thing. But that was a good. That was sort of a good proving ground and test for that process for us.
0: Um, and then yeah, what kind so, of time yeah. is involved here? You know, through the, through this double decoction, yeah. Uh, how long do you spend pulling that up uh you know into the decoction boil um what, what kind of you know what kind of there you know some brewers some lager brewers are going for very quick decoctions really just to blow stuff apart you're obviously trying to find you know some some character and some uh, some deeper malt character through this process
1: yeah for us we've we've really noticed and i don't know i mean when you talk to somebody like bill and ashley from beerstadt it's like they have a system that was made in 1850 or what you know, whatever it is. So we we have this is all new, newly built, newly designed. We get really good efficiency on it. So we're really looking at ten minute um, ten minute boils in our decoction vessel. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, it it really is efficient. I mean, it ties directly in. It's all a new system designed to do this. So you know, we're looking at ten minute decoctions. I mean, it add time adds time obviously, but I would say the majority of that time is really just getting up from you know, wherever you, wherever you start, like, so that for this, we didn't do an acid rest, but you know, when you talk about stir, you're starting sacrest for a beer like this at 148 or 150 degrees, getting that up to boil is really the bulk of, um, of the added time. But even then we're on a 20 barrel system. We pull roughly a third, you know, getting seven, um, uh, and it, you know, it's not even 20 barrels of mash. Right. So you know, we're, we're looking at four barrels of mash slurry or, or somewhere around there for that to get it up to a boil. So really, we don't add a ton of time um, and we're able to be pretty efficient, which makes it a lot easier to go ahead and do dumb shit like this when, you know, it really, it adds 45 minutes to a single brew day, really not the end of the world. Um, we're not doing thirty-hour brew days like those psychos at shot or anything <laughs> sure, like that.
0: Sure, sure. So w- with Scottish Yale, you know, you need to maintain. What you're not trying to do is uh, go perfectly dry. Um, you know, you what you don't want to do is have a beer that's just going to like over attenuate and be harsh. Like it has to have some of that kind of malt sweetness, you know, to it. I mean, that's just kind of par for the style. It needs to still be dry, but it also has to have, you know, some of that that sweet character. How do you, you know, how did you think about balancing that as you were working out the, you know, the kind of uh, production of mash strategy for this?
1: Well, again, that's something that decoction does add, right? So it it's not even, um, it, it does boost attenuation, but it also, you develop that sweet, that sort of sweet crackery, grainy malt character. Um, so with our Munich malt, it really develops into a lot of that really sweet, um, bready uh, malt character. So you, while you may see that attenuation, you get the impression of sweetness through decoction. Um, so it sort of lends its hand to that. I mean, and then with the crystal malt, I think it's just enough to keep it from turning out super dry. I mean, it was a beer that finished at 1010, 10, two and a half Play-Doh. Um, so still a really well attenuated beer, but not. You know, where we see, you know, one and a half Play Doh for something like Hellas or Pilsner. Um, and I think that probably just comes through the little bit of specialty malt that we put in there and then a little bit of added impression of sweetness from uh, from the decoction. So I'm really, the more I think about it, this <laughs> decoction lends itself super well to this style. I highly recommend it.
0: So it's a rather straightforward decoction process. What, you know, compared to, say, you know, a, uh, a, uh, non-decocted uh mash of a of a similar mash bill. What do you think the decoction the double decoction process that you used is producing in terms of flavor that survives through into the end beer?
1: So certainly a big part of it is color in a beer like that. So um even, even with so you, your
0: steam process.
1: Yeah definitely. Yeah so we have we you know when we brew something like our Oktoberfest, I mean so most of our you know all of our lagers that's outside of Schwarz beer are 100% base malt so we develop all that color for our vienna for our um, oktoberfest uh, dunkel all those all those beers 100% of the color is derived from decoction so you know you can use like a 10 level bond munich and that creates a beer that's relatively pale but you decoct it three times like we do for our dunkel and you get a nice you know dark you know not quite dark brown uh, but a really deep brown color so you certainly get a lot of the color development uh, through that and i and i just think with something like it, it just unlocks i've i've really loved it with our munich malt it really unlocks a lot of like nutty toffee character that you get out of sort of the spectrum of of caramel and crystal uh colored malts you know when you like i said for this we use like c10 c60 but you know you run the you run the gamut of c10 c45 c60 c90 or whatever to get a lot of different character out of it you know in those sort of so sort of darker when you get to 60, 90, you get a little bit of that, like, grape nut character, you know, things like that. Like, I think with, we use Erex Munich, and, like, with that, you really unlock a lot of those, um, those, malt, like, deep, rich, multi characters through decoction. So, that's, it's just a, it's just a massive part. I mean, it really is, uh, really very wild to experience, sort of, when you go from, go from chewing it to, you know, looking at something like how Munich shows itself in, you know, a handful in a, you know in an ipa or or an amber or something like that and then when it goes th- when it goes through decoction what it really what it really offers and unlocks um, i mean it just is a it's a broad spectrum of those really really cool malt character that you don't expect to get out of something like munich malt
0: we've got a little i guess a theme going this year with uh brewers who are decocting non uh, lager styles um had the same conversation with the uh, devacote in Prague, where they're making uh, decocted uh, IPAs and pale ales that are- Fuck it. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. hey. Yeah, hey. why not? Uh, the, my favorite beer that they that they decoct is a, uh, a raspberry uh, kettle sour. A decocted yeah. raspberry kettle sour with some of the most beautiful foam you've ever seen. Um, yeah. Of course, why not? Why not? But let's talk a, a hot side process for you. Uh, you mentioned you throw a little bit of magnum in. Um, how long do you then boil for? And are there any more hops that roll in through the, the hot side process?
1: Nope, that's it. I mean, a splash at sixty minutes. So this is a sixty-minute boil. I mean, for us, we're still, I think, stuck back in the the ways of sixty and ninety-minute boils. So, I mean, we'll we'll do, you know, for something like Dunkel or whatever. You know, if we you know brew a Doppelbach, we might go one hundred and twenty minutes, but we don't really see, again, because we're, you know we're on a steam system. Um, outside of uh, volatilizing DMS when whenever we use Pilsner malt, we don't really um, see a lot of color, character. I mean. It's just all consolidation of sugar at that point. So if you know if we brew an imperial stout or something like that, we might boil longer. But um, yeah, for the most part, we're sixty and ninety minute boils. So for this would be a sixty minute boil, straight up just bittering addition for you know fifteen twenty IBUs. Just, you know, after the decoction, this is as straightforward of a beer as like, you know as there is. Any more hops in this beer at all? Absolutely not. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Just yep,
0: a bittering addition at the start, and that's it.
1: That's okay. it. Yeah, no, no, no later edition, no later kettle. I mean, we do that for a lot of our beers. I'm a, I'm a really big believer, in, you know, I think you'd be amazed at what you know, a ten minute edition of Hollertown Middle Fruit does. And you know, we use Laurel American Noble hops uh, a lot too. Those American Noble um, from uh, YCH is a really cool product. So we use a lot of that in things like our Cream Ale. You know, even you know, lighter beers like that that just you know just give it a little skosh of hop character. But that's not really what we were looking for in this, right? This is a, this is a really uh just for malt to stand on its own pretty much kind of beer i mean so really it's just enough bitterness to balance it up, m- make it you know not too sweet and i mean that's all it's doing
0: wild um anything uh you know? then i mean at the end of uh you know, knockout and into the you know start of fermentation
1: absolutely not standard fermentation profile i mean we ride 68 to 72 degrees we were big fans of omega uh omega yeast we used their british five it was Um, you know, it's their sort of London ale three, whatever. Um, you know, they're kind of really hazy IPA beer, but that yeast is amazing. We use it in a lot of our beers. Um, it's, it's one, it's the one that we found as far as what unlocks hazy IPA. That's what we need it to do. You know, with, with, we use it for a lot of beers, but you know, our hazy IPA is the one that sells. So it really has to unlock that beer, but it works, but it's, it's the best beer I've seen or the best yeast that I've seen to be the most, most versatile with other styles. And, so it does really well for this. It still lends a gentle fruitiness. So I mean, you know, the light ester character that you want in sort of British and Scottish uh, Scottish beer. It's yep. So
0: how do you describe these esters?
1: Um, and how do they
0: express differently in this Scottish ale versus, uh, say, a hazy IPA?
1: So again, it's like hard to determine, like, because I think that you get so much of that through decoction that you wouldn't necessarily attribute. You would typically attribute to the yeast. Like I said, when you get that sort of grape nut character. Um, I think that you get that it's not quite the deep, uh, plum and raisin sort of dark fruit esters, but it's somewhere between more like grapey. Um, it depends how you use it. We'll go a little bit higher on, on certain, um, certain styles temperature wise to unlock some of that esters, but it's very clean at lower temps. So it's, you know, it's, it's in that dark fruit realm, but not quite the, you know, the deeper ones that you get with Scottish ale yeasts. Um, so I think that we were able to unlock that also through decoctions, getting some of that more mimicking Scottish ale yeast, um, fruit character.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, anything, uh, you, you mentioned temperature quickly and it just blew right by me. Um, anything to, you know, how you approach temperature to massage those esters in one direction or another?
1: It's really higher or lower. I mean, that, that yeast is very straightforward with, you know, if you get up, uh, get up into the seventies, you get. Um, a bit more ester production. Um, you know, when we brew something like our cream ale, it's like, you know, we keep it down around 66, very neutral, very clean. So it really is just making sure that you get up to 68, so do, 70, 72 you do cream degrees. ale with,
0: with hazy, you know, British yeast.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it, it just, it's so, it's so clean. Um, uh, it, it, we use the West Coast one, like their Chico strain for our West Coast IPA and things like that. And that, just highlights hops really really well and i just don't think it's as good in our cream ale um i think that it it uh, adds a little bit of mouthfeel um sort of perceived mouthfeel just through uh, the roundness of the yeast and it's a little bit more neutral um where where our chico leans super dry so um but at lower temperatures you keep it neutral avoid the avoid as you know a lot of ester production and uh, so yeah yeah
0: how does that, you know, attenuate, uh, say differently in this de-cocked, double decocted Scottish ale versus um, your hazy IPA fermentation with the same kind of thing?
1: Uh, they end up pretty close to the same. Yeah. Our hazy IPA ends up pretty low. I mean, we just you just notice that through hop creep. I mean, it's a beer if we, you know, with with our fermentation temps, our mash regimen for a hazy IPA, if we never dry hopped it, that beer would finish at five Play-Doh. You know, but then we dry hop it, then it gets down to two and a half to three. Oh you man! Know? So, yeah, we just see we see a ton of that. Um, so, <laughs> so you're um, using so hop, I mean, hop creep accomplishes
0: <laughs> the same thing that it, <laughs> that a decoction like, uh, does in terms of finishing attenuation for these.
1: It's why wi- it's wild out here. Yeah, I don't know how in the world to keep a beer above three Plato with with dry hopping. You know the way that we do. We do. I mean, we we dry hop late. We do um sort of post post terminal, you know, ish whatever. Day 7 typically dry hop on our hazy IPAs and we still get that creep and I mean it'll take it will take 2 weeks to finish out sometimes and if you give it more time it'll just keep going. Some people would say that's
0: not a problem, but uh, you know, it's, you know sounds like it, not for me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But yep. that, I don't I don't know that I want beers that finish at five plato. But
0: it's interesting that you can, you know, again, you're ending up in a similar place even if Uh, you know, you've got two different ways to get there, you know, whether that's enzymes coming in from hops or whether that's, uh, you know, an efficient mash regimen that's going to, you know, produce a a more attenuable, attenuatable, uh, totally Uh, lost. Attenuative. Yeah, Yeah, attenuative, uh, you know, of beer that, uh, you know, you'll still end up in the same place.
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, And then again, you know, going back to that uh, mash regimen, it's like, you know, we do, we hit 170, we hit a mash out, you know, so we're, we're very, you know, we try to be very particular about where we want these beers to land. And that's a, that's a big part. And I think an underrated part of being able to, to do step mashing. So even our, even our, our mash ton is jacketed. So every one of our beers goes through some sort of step, uh, regardless of decoction. So um, that's a big part of those is making sure you sort of freeze that conversion. Because even you know, even if you do a you know, even if you do a protein rest at, you know in the one sixty one point eight or whatever it is, um, you're still gonna get you know a little bit of continued conversion there. So um sort of getting the getting to one seventy, locking that in and making sure that you're not uh, you're not continuing uh, your sack rest basically through that. Um, definitely helps you know ensure that you're not completely drying out beers so you don't want to. Sure.
0: Is there any thing to the way that you finished this uh you know the Scottish Ale? Uh, after fermentation, or I should say, you know, using this yeast, um, you know, Scottish ale typically isn't hazy, hazy in the way that uh, IPA might be uh, allowed to or celebrated for being murky and uh, turbid. Sure. Um, you know, it, did, did you do anything to kind of promote flocculation in this one or kind of clean it up? I imagine if it's going to go in front of judges, it also, can, you know, shouldn't necessarily look uh you know
1: brown and gross yeah god bless the centrifuge you know okay so uh, but that that yeast again it's 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 bizarre for uh a yeast strain that is so heavily used in hazy ipas that are meant to be very turbid uh that it, it really drops very bright on its own if you give it enough time not always what brewers have so but even with if you just time, use biofine, temperature biofine, okay i mean biofine helps but you know it, it it'll drop extremely bright with it, with biofine, or really with time, if you have the time, which we never do, so uh, biofine or in this case centrifuge. centrifuge. Uh, yep,
0: oh, I would. It's the not the poor man's uh, approach. It would be the rich man's approach. To, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: One of the benefits of brewing seven thousand some odd barrels per year is that you can have some of the, the tools at your disposal. And uh,
1: hey, time's the biggest money though, isn't it? So you know, if we don't have the time, then. <laughs> Time would be the rich man's approach, right? For sure.
0: Well, how do you you know, in terms of uh, carbonation, how did you how did you finish this beer? Well what, were, the, what yes, were you thinking uh, about and what's your goal around it?
1: Oh, uh, well, I'm a big fan of bubbles, right? So um I think that if you do a lot of reading, it, you know, I'm sure that any sort of uh British, Scottish beer would tell you to carb these beers to like two two or two three. Like that's that's garbage. Um this is carbon to at least two six, two six five, two seven in that range. I mean, we don't ever carbonate beers lower than that. Our hazy IPAs are around 2.4, but um, anything else, 2.6 is about as low as we go. Um, Just for drinkability? Yeah, big fan of bubbles. I mean, who doesn't love bubbles? Um, I think, yeah, unless you're looking at a beer to be, I mean, extremely, almost cloying, you know, I think that, again, it's just an element that sort of goes back to our ethos of really making drinkable beers, beers that are drinkable in quantity. Um, I don't like drinking a beer that doesn't have anything that brings me back for a next sip so i think certainly with this um a lack of bitterness leaves you know you have to make that up some way i in my mind of uh, that bringing you back to a next sip uh quality and from for this beer particularly that would be um through carbonation a
0: little bit of that carbonic acid helps create some of that impression of bitterness then
1: yeah it just you know that that carbonic acid has like a little bit of a uh almost a cleansing of the palate Um, sort of effect Um, anytime that you have a beer that doesn't have it have that cleansing effect I mean it just one ounce is good for me so cool Cool. yeah
0: anything else to this uh, this crazy double decocted Scottish ale
1: nah just shout out to the team for uh, hanging out with me on a Friday and drinking a couple beers and coming up with something real fun yeah but it's it's, yeah it's it's all about the decoction of this beer you know that's what everybody needs to know and understand
0: Interesting. Well, I want to let's change gears and talk about some of your other uh, Metazoa metal winning beers before we do that. Oh, you like wildly aromatic IPAs and tropical lagers. Good thing. Omega designed to thialized yeast for just that reason. Thialized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. And wait, there's more. Omega Yeast makes yeast to order with a consistent one-week lead time, ensuring peak freshness and reliability. Also, who doesn't love free samples? The Perfect Puree is offering a free sample box of their frozen fruit purees, concentrates, and blends to professional brewers. Picked at the peak of ripeness, their fruit is pureed and frozen for optimal fresh flavor and color. Explore classics from red raspberry and blood orange to unique fruit juice blends, such as... Is yuzu Lux sour choose from 40 plus flavors and build a free sample box at perfectpuree.com slash beer that's perfectpuree p-u-r-e-e dot com forward slash beer Complimentary to professionals only. And this episode is brought to you by Yakima Chief Hops. The seventh annual Pink Boots Blend is now available for pre-order. $3 of every pound of the Pink Boots Blend purchased will be donated to the Pink Boots Society, a nonprofit organization that supports women and non-binary individuals in the fermented and alcoholic beverage industry through education. Place your orders from Yakima Chief Hops and secure your volume of this limited blend for your Pink Boots Collaboration Brew Day on March 8th, International Women's Day. Learn more at wwwyakamachiefcom pink-boots-blend. All right, Rob, let's talk about some of your, uh, your past medal-winning beers. I think uh, this is what, beer number 10 that you've won a GABF medal for? Um, you've probably—I well, I believe got, so. Yeah, maybe five World Beer Cup medals or something around those yeah.
1: lines. Yep, I know we've got five World Beer Cup. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so uh, what do you what do you win for? What what, what is, what's your next winningest beer?
1: Uh, we've done really well with saison's over the years. So um, we've won for, um, and I got a, this is where I got a plug. Old Nick Betzner, he left the company, allowed me to step into his shoes as director of brewing operations. He's at Blacktooth Brewing Company. He's at their tap room up. Bring at their tap room in Cheyenne, uh, Wyoming, not too far from you. So um, he's. So uh, you're saying I should go up
0: and visit Nick then?
1: Uh, absolutely, right. yeah. Pay pay him a visit. Yep. So, um, so he is the, a saison wizard. Yeah. So um, that yeah, is but, actually
0: where we re- I recorded the podcast episode with Eric Toft of Shinram because um, oh yeah because no he's shit. from Cheyenne <laughs> and we were yeah right there in, in the, the Cheyenne Blacktooth location.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. He's the man. You'd uh, enjoy chatting with him. Um but yeah, yeah, great Saison Brewer. So yeah, we've won um several they, they medals. They won a medal for, for their cream ale so, this
0: year too, didn't they?
1: They won two medals this year. Yeah, we sat with them for the ceremony. It was like we had a we had a good time. Um so they won with their they were both it's like nineteen oh two and eighteen eighty two or something like that. Whatever is uh so I think a barrel aged barrel, barrel aged beer and then I think they're light lager, I wanna say. Cool. Um, but yeah, so um these were the, his beers for sure. Um, so, Metalark our standard saison, Clip Springer is a hoppy saison, basically the same recipe, dry hopped with we use a little bit more Centennial than Saz um, okay. on the hot side, and then dry hop with Citra about a pound per barrel, and then uh, Go Apricot is an apricot saison. So, all of those have won medals at either GABF or World Beer Cup.
0: Well, let's. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what are some of the approaches that you take that uh, that help optimize these beers for winning medals in the way that they do?
1: So, a big part of that is stay out of the way. You know, it's those are yeast forward beers. So, start with a good yeast. We use uh, Omega Saisonsteins Monster, which is the worst name in the history of yeast, but it's a a hybrid between their Belgian and French Saison um, strains. So, you get a little bit of the, you know, a little bit fruitier uh, Belgian yeast character, uh, Belgian Saison character, um, a little bit of that more peppery phenolic uh, French Saison character. Um, And kind of staying out of the way of that, I, I think a big thing on the hot side for Meadowlark, the standard um Saison in particular is using a large volume of Saz hops throughout the boil. Um sort of the, you know, almost old like, you know, your classic sort of lager brewing. Um like Pilsner kolsch editions, you know, 60, 45, 30, 15 to whatever, you know. I mean, we're talking four hop additions throughout that um throughout that beer and you what sort of layer do? in different So you layer in different qualities of bitterness, you know, so that that 60 minute is that uh, you know, you're boiling vegetal matter for longer, right? So that's where you get a little bit more astringent uh, polyphenol character. Um, you know, those middle editions are a little bit softer and more round bitterness, which I'm a big fan of those for IPAs um, as well, sort of that mid, you know, 30-minute addition, um, And then obviously the later boil you get, you'll um, still pick up a little bit of bitterness, but a uh, um, little bit more, you know, aroma, flavor contributions there towards the end of the boil. Um and then I think you just add in um, that volume of hops. Um, you get a lot of almost like creamy vanilla um, sort of characteristic. And I don't know if that's specifically with that, that Belgian yeast that it converts into vanilla in or something like that. You know, I'm going to start making shit up that, uh, that I don't really know what I'm talking about. But you get this like creamy mouthfeel character um, from that sort of volume of hop addition in a beer like that. Um, that can really only be achieved through. You know, there's low alpha. I mean, our sauce is like three alpha acid, you know, so um, it's still a beer that finishes. It's fairly Even bitter. Lower you lower know, next 25. year. <laughs> yeah, 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 no kidding. It was perfect, really. I mean, <laughs> I don't think that that's what the, the farmers want, but no. it's like for me, I'm like, hell yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's It's good. Yeah, it's going to cost two bucks more a pound, and I'm going to have to use twice as much, but goddamn, is that going to make a good saison next year? <laughs> um, so, you know, this is a beer that still, you know, finishes fairly bitter. It's only 25 or 30 IBUs, but it's so dry uh, you know, finishing very close to zero play So, um, so I can so see it being
0: interesting having some of that kind of like, you know, vanilla will create an impression of more sweetness or body despite that kind of dryness. And I could see that being a, a benefit in something that was still that dry.
1: It's just interesting. Yeah. You know, I think that that's, I think that's a lot of times. I mean, I think, and that's, I think that that's part of, where do you yeah, get size
0: that take that comes across as vanilla? I, I'm curious about that. So,
1: so again, it's not this, I mean, it's, it's like this almost, I should say it almost has the same effect of vanilla, like where it has that sort of that awkward mouthfeel thing where you're like, this is not actually sweet, but it like gives this impression of sleep. Yeah. Sweetness. Sure, sure. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, that, yeah. And I think that it's all part of, uh, you know, again, let's, let's, let me just stop. on trying to get scientific with you. Like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, but it just gives this really rounding mouthfeel, um and light vanilla character. I you know, I mean vanilla is a uh, is a hop oil, you know. So I don't know if there's some sort of conversion in there that um with these sauce hops during fermentation or
0: uh, uh, what uh, what, uh, what volume there? of sauce hops gets you there?
1: It'd be uh, if I'd have to look back at old recipe sheets, but I mean we're talking, you know, a pound and a half per barrel on the hot side, mm. I would guess um,
0: and a pretty decent, you know, calculated IBUs then that comes out of that, or for the most part, even though these are low ABV. Or low, I mean, it's a low, so low I mean you, you
1: still, Sorry. yeah, I mean, you still, you know, it's not like you're using, you know, 13, 14 alpha, you know, Citra or whatever. So, um, but we're still getting, yeah, 25 probably IBUs out of there.
0: Cranking a bunch of of uh, IBUs with a whole bunch of low alpha ops. That's, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. A
1: hundred percent of that cost is from using just way too much European ops.
0: Um, and then I'm sure it's great in terms of uh, liquid loss through the process too. But
1: ah, you know, let's you know whatever. <laughs> sure.
0: Um, let's talk about fermentation for your, your these metal winning saisons then too, because obviously, especially when it comes to saison, that's a that's a big piece of it. Although, also you know, grain and and uh, grist is a, another big piece of the saison equation. Um, I'm just going flipping all out of order here. I'm, I'm going totally nonlinear. Yeah, well, let's talk yeah. about fermentation for a minute
1: yeah i mean that's the big thing i mean the grain's pretty straightforward hops are pretty straightforward i mean it's mostly a smash beer i think you know there's you know seven percent wheat or something along those lines in it so the grist spills pretty straightforward hops are pretty straightforward are you using Pilsner
0: malt or, or? Yeah,
1: yeah yep and then even really fermentation is pretty straightforward i think that and this is a misconception that i even had um that you know you need to go really hot with saisons i don't necessarily think that that's the case anymore um so I you know we drive a lot of it through hanging out in the mid 70s I mean from
0: protagonist'll argue with you about that point yeah uh,
1: but the, that's great I mean I think it depends what sure, you' want sure. I mean, i've I've brewed I've brewed beers like that and I think that it certainly adds an element of I mean if you really want a lot of that peppery character, I mean I think that it's important to use probably specifically a French saison yeast and definitely make sure it hangs out above you know in the low 80s at least I mean I don't know what the hell he would you know what he would say is it like did you say like eighty-five or something and saying like You'll that? I have
0: to listen to the episode, my friend. <laughs> oh gosh.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Text me the you know text me the episode number. I'll get sure, back to it. Sure, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So we we hang around in the low to mid seventies. I mean, we don't really go too high yeah. with it. Um, that that yeast performs well. Give it a long time. That yeast will never stop attenuating. I mean, it'll pass diacetyl after three days, and it'll keep fermenting for three weeks. So um, so that thing it just it gets bone dry. It, it has plenty of and you give nice it the free, time to yeah, just finish drink. its
0: finish its thing out
1: yeah those beers are a pain in the ass I mean the yeast flocks like shit it takes forever to attenuate but I mean it just produces some really awesome beers so again I think it's sometimes with beers like that you know there's a lot of times that people want to get away and they want a yeast that's easier to work with they want something that flocks better or they want something that you know attenuates quicker or they want something you know they want to produce it eight days on or whatever you know for us it's like the, the beer takes four or five weeks um, it's a pain in the ass, but it gives us the beer that we want. So
0: use Diastaticus saison strain, or
1: yep. So that's fun, you know. That's you know, we're talking, yeah, replacing soft parts afterwards, you know. So it's a, it's all around. It's a pain in the ass, um, and if we want to brew successful beers, it, it might take us three or four days to harvest the yeast off of it because it flocc- flocculates so poorly. <laughs> um, which again, I think contributes to the character. I mean, I think that that you know, you end up leaving yeast in suspension. Um, that just turns into more character down the road, really. Um, so it ages well. Um, hopefully not explosively well. You know, we avoid putting things like that in the cans. know, yeah. But even I mean, hell, we've had, you know, that yeast we've had kegs sitting in the cooler for a couple of months and you're like, Man, this boy's pouring foamy. So, um yeah, it's amazing how 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 strong that yeast is. That's uh sure. Yeah, the di- diastaticus is
0: powerful. It is powerful stuff, for sure, for sure. Um, any other uh, you know beers that you're particularly proud of your Metazoa winning medals for?
1: Uh, this year we won a bronze for our Maybach. That was, you know, personally for me, a first uh, a lager win. So that's fun, you know, especially with the you know the new sort of, uh, I mean, you know, prior to opening up this new production facility, it's like decoction was not something that i ever done. Loggering tanks are something I've never used. So to be able to, and really not a lot of experience even brewing loggers in general. So so to be able to bring that around to a medal is really cool. Um, but I'd say we won our uh, hazy IPA Wicked Possum won a bronze medal in 2020. Um, so I mean that's a pretty that's big deal. Tough cat- you know, cat- that's category to win. Y- Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, a total accident that we ended up. You know, we had a beer that just didn't turn out well, and it was like, well, what the fuck else do we have to send? And that was the one last entry, biggest category. Hey, what do you know?
0: You have a flippant way of uh, addressing all of this, as if there's no, <laughs> as if these things yeah. just happen. But uh, uh, well, but I, I like it, that. It, I love your. your I think you're playing if you, it down, I think, Rob.
1: <laughs> I think if you enter these competitions enough, you understand how challenging it is to win medals. And not that like I don't mean that in like a hey, look at us, we've won medals, even though it's hard. Right. Um, I think it's the subjectivity that goes into it. The I mean, any beer, any day, right? It's no bad beers. Are winning medals, but lots of bad beer, lots of good beers aren't winning medals, you know? So um it's cool, it's a great honor. Obviously, it's a lot of fun. Winning medals is cool. Um, it's a big thing in the industry. Um, but I think if you've entered competitions for long enough, you understand how little it means. And I don't mean to, again, say that like that sounds flippant and that sounds uh kind of shitty or whatever, but um I, I think that you understand that it's like, you know, you look at a brewery like Bells. That's not like cranking out medals, and it's just like, all right, are you going to tell me that too hard? is isn't fucking awesome, you know? Are you going to tell me that they're not making world class beers and they've won four medals in thirty years? You know, it just I look at something like that, and it <laughs> it tells me exactly what these medals mean, and you know, it's there's you know, thr- we're winning for Scottish ales over here. Okay, sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. Well, there, I
0: think there's an element of you know, on any given Saturday morning, right? That uh, for sure, um, yeah, you know, there, the the level of competition has significantly increased and the quality of beer that brewers are producing and sending in, uh, submitting, you know, to competitions like the World Beer Cup and and the Great American Beer Festival are absolutely the best that they've ever been. Um, You know, and it's, it's hard to, we shouldn't discount that whatsoever. And that high level of quality means that there probably is some you know there's the potential for you know chaos and our arbitrariness to you know to kind of come in that it's hard you know now what that also says is that brewers that consistently win those uh, you know have found ways to consistently win medals in this highly competitive environment um, are somehow uh, you know have, have found ways to uh, you know overcome some of the chaos in that system that it is. You know, there, there's certainly that case to be said that uh, it's not as, you know, winning once is, is one thing, but winning, you know, five or 10 um, is in, like the odds are against you if you're trying to claim that these are random dice rolls, you know, that uh, achieving that kind of thing can be harder. And it certainly speaks to building a, a culture of quality. And maybe that's where we should kind of wrap this up on. What is it about Metazoa and your approach to overall quality? that you think, you know, what are some of the small things that you all focus on that you think in the larger picture make big differences? You know, what are huh. what are some of these little things that uh, you all are very particular about um, that tend to then create this kind of ongoing culture of quality?
1: That's everything, right? If you don't care about everything, you don't care about anything. Um, so I think that's really big. We're big on process. I mean, I'm not an artist, I'm not a genius, as you probably discovered over the last hour or so, you know, uh, and Nick either. I mean, we always laugh that we're the two biggest dipshits winning medals out here. Um, and so, you know, it's really about practice. That was a big thing that uh, I learned at Sun King. I mean, it's it's amazing when you go to a brewery like that uh, for their site. I mean, they're 30,000 barrels, but that's a pretty small brewery in the grand scheme of things. And their, their quality and consistency is remarkable. And you want to talk about breweries just constantly being on stage. They're definitely one of them um, over the years. And so, I think taking that sort of disciplined approach to like, Hey, you wear gloves, you know, when you do stuff, Hey, you know, it. it I mean, it's, it's just whatever. That's one little thing, you know, it's like, if a blow off buck is dirty, you take it off and you clean it. You know, I think that, um, I think that it just, it just comes down to everything, right? Like your DO minimization is huge. I mean, I think that you've probably heard a number of brewers say that GABF and world beer cup, you could lose those big national and international competitions. It's as much a packaging competition as it is um, a beer competition. Um, so that's even down to, you know, that's all the way from the day before you brew, when you're sanitizing the tank, you know, that you're wearing gloves and you're spraying shit with isopropyl and sanitizing well, cleaning well before you sanitize, um, you know, yeast management it's you know, all the way down to the very end, you know, a couple days before we send our beers out, the bottling practice, you know, we hand bottle everything, which is annoying. We have a CFT Comac line that gets no DO pickup, but it's not two DO pickup, you know, like I've, I've made the mistake of running our hand bottled beers through our DO meter. And it's like, I can't unseat two, you know? So, I mean, there's two PPB when I hand bottle, you know, it's like, those are, those are things that it's, it, it just comes down to every detail, I think. So that's, um, sort of all the way through the brewing practice and sort of the, again, like that's just, those are the practices we take on a day-to-day basis in the brewery. And then you just kind of got to take the same approach with, when it comes down to competition, um, and I think a big part of that is that you need to be honest with yourself as you're going to enter beers into competitions um what beers have a chance do your beers hit within style guidelines you know do you go to people for constructive criticism you know that do you have people that will be honest with you and that you'll actually listen to them and believe them when they give you their honest opinion um but so it's it's way too much that goes into it you know um but i but I think that's what it takes to have any level of sustained success on the competition circuit um, is you kind of have to be all in because it's a lot of money. I mean, I'd be doing, you know, I don't pay for these things. I'd be doing uh, our owners uh, a disservice if I didn't take all that into consideration when you're spending 180 bucks a pop or whatever it is. And we send somebody to drive these beers out to Denver, you know, it's a lot of money that goes into it. So,
0: Man. Yeah. I mean, and it is a marketing expense. Of course, you spend this yeah. and, uh, you know, creates stories locally. Um, Creates an idea of quality that your own consumers uh, affixed to the idea of the Metazoa brand, um, you know, generates organic news stories, you know, potentially in local media and whatnot. And, uh, of course, here we are having a conversation. And look at this. Right now.
1: On the the international powerhouse that is Craft Beer Brewing Podcast. (laughs) Something like that. Absolutely. Something like that. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Um, But, yeah, that's, you know. It's, it's something that if you, you know, you got to take pride in it. You got to take right. pride in your work. Right. That's just, that's just the biggest thing. It's like, if I have people that show up and show up to the brewery and don't take pride in what they're doing, then they're not going to be around for very long, which has never been a problem, you know, but that's, that's sort of what I tell everybody coming in. It's like, this job sucks. You'll be held to a high standard. And that's what I expect. That's what everybody expects. Like, that's just, you know, this is, this is a job, you know, I think that's a big problem. In the industry is that people think it's cool to be a brewer coolest part about being a brewer is telling your friends that you're a brewer you know pretty much everything else sucks and uh act accordingly you know this is your job this is your career take it seriously just like you would if you were an accountant or a lawyer you know
0: yeah fair fair so uh what is the what's the biggest challenge the biggest project on your your horizon your near term you know next year or two what are what's uh one big thing that you're trying to figure out tackle or uh you know you know crack the nut on
1: not a lot for me. I think it's going to be business as usual for the most part on the brewing team. I mean, we've got, we've got a really good lineup of core beers. I mean, we're going to go through a little bit of a shakeup on a couple of recipes, but I mean, minor, you know, I, you know it's like my minor shakeups become big details when you look at hop contracts and things like that. But, um, but really there's not a ton that we're doing on. I mean, we're expanding into new States and, you know, we're launching 12 ounce actually tomorrow will be our first 12 ounce uh, canning run. So, you know, sort of expanding SKUs through that way. Um, no big overhaul, no big projects on our end. It's it's really about uh, ma- sustaining and maintaining growth. I mean, we've been fortunate to grow even through the pandemic. Um, so we're you know going to launch in a couple new states coming up soon. Um, so that's really just continuing to grow the business. I mean, look at you know for me, it's like I'm a spreadsheet brewer now. So it's you know, it's, it's fun in different and interesting ways and challenging in different ways. So, I mean, it's really, you know, I look at dollars per barrel and how do I get that number down without sacrificing quality and things like that. You know, so we, you know, we look at build, building efficiencies is really um, where my mind is at moving forward. Um, and it's it's fun. It's interesting. And it makes me want to, you know, dive off the roof sometimes because uh, it's painful in, in a lot of ways. But um, that's that's really my big focus moving forward is making sure, and you know, making sure that you don't have drift. That's always a constant um, um, as you grow making sure that you don't get away from sort of the core values and and uh, you know and what that beer turns out you know in the glass make sure that drinking experience stays the same even through growth and chaos
0: I think that is a great place to bring this to a close GD chillers has set the standard on quality service and reliability with 24 7 service and support BSG invites you to try HS grove the newest from their Hop Solutions line. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage. AccuBrew helps you detect problems before they ruin a batch. ProBrew has rotary can fillers in stock with a two to four week lead time. ZBiotics is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Omega stylized yeasts bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your molten hops. If you're a pro brewer, request your free samples today from Perfect Puree and $3 per pound ordered of the YCH Pink Boots blend will be donated directly to the Pink Boots Society. If you've enjoyed this episode, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button. We depend on your subscriptions to keep this entire machine rolling so we can bring great podcast conversations to you and great magazine issues for both our Brewing Industry Guide and Craft Beer and Brewing. Um, Rob, if people want to learn more about Metazoa, what you do, try your beer, taste it in the tap room, et cetera, et cetera, where do they find you all?
1: Yeah, well, you can find us in Indianapolis. That's always the best way, right? Go drink draft beer on the, from the source. Uh, that's number one. We're at 140 South College. CBC Indiana.
0: 2025. A, or, uh, hey, there you right? Go. there right? Yep,
1: absolutely. So, yeah, that'll be a good time. Looking forward to probably seeing and pouring beers for a lot of your listeners, um, if I had to guess. Um, I think it's metazobrewing.com. I don't know. If you Google Metazobrewing Company, you'll, that'll pop up. I, I'm sure that's Metazobrewing Co. on all social media. Um, follow us. Give us a follow if you want to see a lot of pictures of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. Well, there you yep, go. All the doggo left.
0: Rob, it's been uh, wonderful talking with you about brewing uh, double decocted Scottish ale, and <laughs> yes. uh, you know, taking your other weird technical approaches that you seem to think are no big deal, even though they win medals and can continue to win medals. Thanks for talking to me a podcast.
1: Hey, I really appreciate it, Jamie. Longtime listener, first time caller. So this has been fun. I really appreciate you. Well, cheers. All right, cheers.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer
1: Brew.